This is the Indiana Deer News Podcast, your number one resource for anything and everything that has to do with the wild deer herd in Indiana. Stay tuned as we talk about today's topics, which involve what exactly is Indiana Deer News Podcast, what will IDN or Indiana Deer News deliver to you, current topics and events and bills that you should be aware of, future topics to discuss, trophy of the month submissions, and advertising and funding options if you want to support Indiana Deer News Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to the first ever episode of the Indiana Deer News Podcast. I'm your host, Ty Miller, born and raised Hoosier from the northern part of the state. You'll probably get to know me as the episodes go on, but that's not important who I am or anything like that. Let's first really quickly just delve right into this since this is the very first episode. We got a lot of building blocks to form, so hopefully by the time this podcast is over, you know the direction, the goals, and the mission of Indiana Deer News Podcast. So I guess the first question is, what is Indiana Deer News Podcast and how did it actually form or get, where did the concept come from? So Indiana Deer News Podcast was actually something that I had designed on the back end, a website that I was just going to call Indiana Deer News. And I was going to try to get writers and subscribers, and I still might do that. And we would still love to hear from you. Or if you are a wildlife writer out there, um, maybe you submit your articles to newspapers, magazines, things of that nature. Um, Or you would just like to write maybe like an op-ed or an editorial or something like that. Always submit it. I'm not sure if we're going to go that way, but once the website gets generated and we get some funds going and we actually can fund this operation and I can actually have an actual website. Um, We do have a website right now. If you go to Indiana Deer News Podcast on Facebook, it's the easiest way to find it because right now it's a free hosted website. It's a generic, uh, it's not like a www.indianadeernewspodcast.com or something like that. Haven't bought the domain yet. Um, And it may not even work out to be that domain, but uh, we're doing this on the cheap because this is all self-funded, self-promoted, and uh, I'm paying for everything. So you can access the website by going to the page there and clicking on the About page, and it'll actually give you a link to go to the website, and you can access it there. So that's one way to go about it. You can also contact us at Indiana Deer News Podcast uh, on Facebook. You can also contact the uh, page if you have any ideas or as we progress through the show, you're going to actually hear that, you know, I'm, I'm looking for submissions to ideas, guests, and things of that nature. You can hit the podcast up at Indiana Deer News Podcast at gmail.com. So it's literally the entire, t- entire title at gmail.com. So it all originated. I had that kind of foundational idea, and the whole concept of it was there's a lot of different opinions out there. You go to any forum. You know, there, there's people that don't even go on the multiple Indiana forums because they can't get along. They Some of that stuff is, is seated back a long time ago before many of us younger generation of hunters or middle generation of hunters even were paying attention to things. Um, there's a lot of animosity. There's some opinions that just people can't get over. And there's just too much disagreement for the it's probably the politest way to put it and there's a lot of uh people that just can't have common dialogue and state opinions and you know substantiate their claims beyond just personal attacks and so i got kind of sick of that and i wanted to just i wanted a resource that people could just get true information from you go to one page and 
you got to kind of decipher through the comments and the posts that are wrong. And it's amazing how much misinformation is spread on Facebook. Um, people come there looking for regulation questions and answers, looking for advice, um, seeking true answers to things, and they get 18 different ones. And if they only read the first couple, they're going to actually miss what is actually legal or what is actually right. So I wanted to just kind of try to have a resource that if you're an Indiana deer hunter, you tackle the woods and fields of Indiana in pursuit of the wild deer herd, that you could have a place that you could listen to, that you could send in and submit your questions to. And we could attempt to provide uh, facts, education, and be a resource to any hunter, no matter what your opinion is, no matter you know what side of an argument or a debate or an issue you happen to be on. Indiana Deer News Podcast will be something that at least will trigger it trigger review in your own mind, thought on your own mind, and just help you um, know what's what's being discussed in the Indiana deer community, if you will. Um, maybe what's being discussed or maybe some of the things that are the DNR or the NRC or certain groups are looking to tackle or uh, have a campaign for, you don't necessarily find it important, but at least here you'll have a resource and know kind of what's going on. And hopefully we can build a better hunting community in that sense and Bottom line, this be a resource and an educational platform that any deer hunter can be turned to. And at minimum, you check it out, whether you like it or not, whether you like me or not, it doesn't matter. Um, hopefully, it will be a resource to you and a dialogue discussion, if nothing else. And even if that's disagreement and you write in and we have great discussion in that sense, um, I will welcome it and with open arms. So what will I... IDN or Indiana Deer News Podcast Deliver, I've kind of already touched on that. Our main striving mission, if you will, is to be the number one resource for all hunters that pursue deer, like I said earlier. And we want to have guests on our show that are going to deliver information and be people at the heart of some of the things. So there's a lot of misinformation online about how the DNR does things, some of the input, some of the things that, you know, I think it, I think it's nice to put, you know, I can't put a face to a name because this is a podcast, but kind of sit down and get to know and understand and hear, you know, people like Joe Caudell, the wildlife, uh, the deer biologist of Indiana, discuss certain things. Um, I know one of the things that I really think a lot of misinformation out there is about is these targeted reduction zones and just how pivotal and powerful they can be when explained in a proper fashion. And I'm not the one to necessarily do that. But Joe would be the perfect one for that. I think it would be awesome to hear from people at the DFW or somebody who works and can explain the license structure, the Pittman-Robertson Fund, things of that nature. And speaking of the Pittman-Robertson Fund, that's a great segue to the next thing that Indiana Deer News Podcast will always attempt to do. And that's we're going to try to survey. And obviously, when you start something new, the people partaking in the surveys are going to be pretty small. The sample size is going to be pretty minimal. But actually, right now, if you're listening to this podcast... One of the things I'd love for you to do is to swing over to the Indiana Deer News podcast Facebook page. Um, and there's actually a poll. It was created January 25th because I thought this podcast was going to come out then. I actually had it all recorded. And then there was an update on one of the current topics, which is uh, the rifle bill HB 1231 from five years ago has now uh, is part of an amendment to a bill. And there's been a little bit of an update on that, but I'll touch on that later. But if you go to the Indiana Deer News podcast page, there was a poll created, and it actually is about the Pittman-Robertson Act. So 
really briefly, I'm not going to go into or explain it because that would actually uh, change possibly your answer to it. But I want to know, could you explain the Pittman-Robertson Act to someone that has never heard it before? Never heard of it. They have no clue. Could you explain it? And answer honestly, there is no problem if your answer is no. And to be fair, some of you are going to answer yes and probably will fail at truly delivering what it all encompasses. So if you feel like you could definitely hammer home and somebody could actually go and write a paper on the Pittman-Robertson Act based on what you tell them and get at least a passing grade, say yes. And I'm just curious to know because I I think that's one of the most under – I think it's one of the most pivotal things that people don't – I'm trying not to give – too much away for the answer, but I think it's one of the most pivotal things that every single hunter, um, every single fisherman, uh, every single non-consumptive user of wildlife, anybody who loves conservation, loves public lands, I, I just think you need to know what that uh, act is. And I believe it was from 1937, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, go check out that survey. What I'm going to attempt to do is always have an active survey that will close about a week prior to the next podcast being recorded. And then in that podcast, we will share the results of the last of the last survey. And then we'll also project forward what the next survey is going to be. And you can always check it out on the Indiana Deer News podcast. And eventually I will try to streamline these results and have like maybe a survey page on the website to where people can go and it might be might once we get rolling and we get more tr- more traction if you will and uh the results you know start getting into the active numbers you know when we start breaking 50 100 150 200 people taking part in them i think the observation of them will become uh much more entertaining if nothing else so that is that aspect of it so we're going to transition into the next part of the show. Every single episode, I'm going to attempt to do a current topics or events that I feel like any hunter or anybody in Indiana that pursues deer should be aware of because something or multiple things could be impactful upon you as a hunter, as a deer hunter. So really briefly, I'm going to touch on a bill that many of us have written in about and we've been told by multiple different senators and uh, that it's not going to pass. It's not going to get traction. It's going to be lucky to even get out of committee or even get a vote at its subcommittee. Um, it's been uh, corrections and criminal law subcommittee is the one that it was uh, sent to. But this this bill is Senate Bill 203, 203. If you'd like to look it up, go to IN.gov. I think click on government and then general assembly, and you can click on the legislation tab and view every single bill out there. Or you can just do the search function by bills in the upper right-hand corner and just type 203 and it'll, it'll pop up. But it was, an original, uh, it was originally authored by Senator Greg Taylor, I believe, if memory serves. And actually, since I've got it up right here, let me check. He is from District 33. I don't have them all memorized, but I'm fairly certain he's in the northwest corner of the state. Um, For those of you that possibly live in his district, perhaps you should take a minute and write him and let him know that uh, what your thoughts are on this. Uh, Senate Bill 203 was basically, basically, and I'll read the summary, if you will, it was going to prohibit the sale, trade, or transfer of a regulated weapon to a person less than 21 years of age. 
uh, provides that a dealer or person who knowingly or intentionally sells, trades, transfers a regulated weapon to a person less than 21 years of age commits a level six felony. Provides certain defenses, prohibits a person from possessing, selling, or offering for sale a magazine or similar device for a firearm with capacity of more than 10 rounds of ammunition. Provides that a person who knowingly or intentionally open, openly carries a prohibited weapon in a public place commits uh, carrying a prohibited firearm. This is not written very well on the, on the uh, state page. But basically, it was going to prohibit the sale, trade, or transfer of weapons uh, to anyone less than 21. And then there was a bunch of sub-items sub on there as well. It was going to infringe upon our Second Amendment rights. Um, there's going to be times where I'm going to try to not state my own opinion or try to push an opinion upon any of you listeners. And I'm sure we do have some people out there that are uh, maybe not as pro-Second Amendment as most of us, but I'm going to make the assumption that the large majority of you listening are like me that believes that the second you start eroding the Second Amendment, you then are going to erode all the rest. And uh, I've always told people, you may not agree with my Second Amendment, but I will make a promise to you. I will defend your First Amendment if I have to with my Second Amendment. I just ask that you defend my Second Amendment with your First Amendment right. So Senate Bill 203... Sounds like it's not even going to get out of committee, but I figured, hey, if you're already going to be writing your senator or your legislator about the next bill we're going to discuss, perhaps this is a great thing to include when you write into them. So the next thing that I would like to discuss, and apologies right now, I am pulling up the Indiana harvest numbers uh, because that is the next thing I want to discuss before we get to the rifle bill. So the current Indiana deer harvest total, as of right now, uh, this is January 27th, 2020 in the evening. You will probably hear this. It'll probably go live on the 28th, maybe the 29th at the latest. But uh, so this was January 27th, 2020 at approximately 7 a.m. The current total, 114,778. So if you haven't already went to the Indiana Deer Harvest total page on the IN.gov, uh, Department of Natural Resources subpages, where it'll display this, you know, in the past years, all we had was basically the total. And there was some dissension out there that didn't understand all the information that they have to gather at uh, the point of uh, check-ins, that we couldn't have more access to this on more of a lively basis. So... Joe has done an incredible job of updating the system, and now it's not just more live, and it's not, uh, it's just incredible. You can literally, like, I'm going to click on the main county that I hunt in, up in Elkhart County. Uh, I can literally go in there, pull up just Elkhart County, the totals that it has. I can do it by equipment used. I can do it by the game gender. I can do it by... Uh, whether I want to see just antlered buck total, things of that nature. So if you haven't already, go there and check it out, guys. It is amazing. Um, the 114778 figure, just for those keeping track, last year we were a little bit over 111,000. 2017 season we were at 113,000, just over that. So we've broke the last two years. We're in no way going to touch the 2016 uh, figure, which was 119,000. And then the last year displayed that's on this, but I have an entire history of my own that I keep on an Excel sheet. 
the 2015 season is 124,601. So we're about 10,000 down from four seasons ago, but up from the last two. So, and that's with a reduction in many of the bonus antlerless quotas, which as we all know, has been a rather contentious subject, depending on what side you are on whether they play a huge factor and such. Um, I believe at minimum, they do a wonderful job of having something that Joe can turn like a spigot, if you will, and control the output or input of, of things and decrease and increase. Uh, and yes, it is true. They do kind of control the tag usage and such. And that's something that maybe we can get into on a later uh, episode, but if you haven't already checked out the deer harvest, you can uh, total. You can go there. It's really interactive. You can see, you know, just one quick little thing. Let me unclick everything except for rifle. This is this is cool. So, the rifle totals in 2015 was 23,296. Once they kind of amended that original bill that was enacted in 2016, and then started adding calibers from it, we went from 23,200 and 96 i think no well, there's two numbers on this year so i'm not 100 percent sure what the figure in the bar and the figure above the bar is but when i hover over it the number of record uh harvests from 2015 to rifle were 23,284 the next year was 44,613 the next year 45,000 about a, almost a thousand it was actually a thousand and six more harvested the next year. Then we added another 1,300 the next year. Then we added, this year we harvested more than 3,000 more than last year. So we eclipsed 50,000 um, deer harvested this year from rifle. Uh, I don't have a calculator handy, but again, like I said, we were at 114,778, and 50,000 plus of those were to rifle. So... And that kind of is a great segue into the next topic that I think you need to be aware of, and that is that rifle law that was uh, put pushed through the legislation. And maybe sometime we can talk about the history of why it got pushed through legislation and didn't go through the normal process of the NRC and DNR recommendation. That's a whole other topic, and I think it's a really uh, worthwhile one to unpack a little bit more. Why do we as hunters want or should we want uh, all regulation decisions and things of that nature to go through the process of DNR recommendation and the NRC determining them? Or do we want legislators involved in decisions and should we push for uh, legislator involvement? I'm not going to state on this episode, but I just think that's a good discussion of a potential discussion in the future. So if you have any good uh, ideas of anybody on, maybe you yourself are fully aware of that situation and would love to uh, sit down and talk for just maybe 5, 20 minutes about that whole issue, if you will, for lack of a better term. But HB 1231 had a waiting time on it. Now, HB 1231 was the bill that stated that you could use certain rifles, could be used to hunt deer, and I'm reading the summary, on privately owned land during the firearm season beginning after June 30th, 2016, and ending before January 1st, 2020. Um, now, I don't think they thought about reduction timeframes in there, so probably should have said January 30th. Uh, but this had a five-year thing, and then it said that ending after the ending date, it would require the Department of Natural Resources, or the DNR, to report on the impact of the use of rifles to hunt deer. 
Now, it is interesting that they say impact. So this has been debated and argued in multiple different fashions. Are they talking or are they most concerned with just safety issues? Because I haven't heard of any major things. I know there was a building or two that people think was hit, but there's no way to really substantiate or prove that it was done even while hunting and not just somebody out shooting. So, But nobody got hurt that I know of. Nobody, heaven forbid, died or anything like that, which is which is a great thing to hear. And I know that was a big contention. I know that was probably why they didn't put it on public land because I think public land gets this really bad rap for just being unsafe now it's true for maybe a couple days out of the year it's congested a little bit on public i've hunted public on uh, muzzleloader opener is one of the most popular days up here for some of the public that i hunt and i've heard firearms openers is maybe 50 to 80 percent higher people depending but i mean i grew up hunting nine acre woods in northern indiana and i know there were firearm openings where i knew of at least 14 neighbors in about a hundred acre chunk right around me i'm telling you right now i know some spots on public that if i'm willing to work i can get back to firearm season muzzle litter season archery season that i'm gonna have to deal with less people um it's a different different type of hunting for sure, but I could do it if I wanted to. So I think that concept of public lands being more unsafe or that people who hunt public lands is more unsafe, I think personally that's a little misguided. I feel like if that was true, we would have seen injuries occur over the last five years during this rifle time frame. But it'll be interesting to hear what the DNR report is if we even get to hear it or did they just verbally say, hey, it's fine. That's kind of my assumption that they did, because uh, today I discovered that uh, House Bill 1385 from this year, which, if you look it up, doesn't have anything to do with this. However, there was an amendment, and it's under Amendment 3, uh, the Atab Amendment 3, and actually, while I have the page up, let me go ahead and type that in. However, this amendment centers solely around the issue at hand, which is these rifles and the fact that there was the five-year clause. So yeah, if you pull it up, left-hand tab, uh, House Amendments, or go to Bill Actions, you can actually read uh, some of the amendments. However, I'm holding it here in my hand, and it says, Hunting with rifles removes the sunset provision regarding the use of certain rifles while hunting. Because if this was not removed, then basically it would sunset and we would go back. We would revert back to the, the law before this bill went into effect. And essentially, rifles would no longer be allowed. Pistol caliber, uh, out of traditional firearms, I should say, we all understand the pistol with certain length barrels. You can shoot whatever, but that's a topic that maybe would take too long to explain, especially to those of you that are like, what is he talking about? But we would go back to the same regulations that we had prior on rifle cartridges. So... This sunset clause, essentially, if I understand it correctly, and I did confirm with a couple people that, you know, they used to be very active in this. Um, so if it passes as currently written, which basically the amendment just takes the ending date out. It, it crosses out the ending date and just leaves the beginning date. Um, this would mean it gives the DNR and the NRC the authority to create a rule to allow their use on public land if they should choose or how they're going to regulate it um, through the normal process. So if this version passes, those wanting their inclusion on public land will need to petition 
the NRC. Now, some of you perhaps are wondering who is the NRC and the they're the Natural Resource Commission. Um, you can actually search them up if you will. They in.gov back, backslash uh, NRC. I'll just read the little blurb. The Indiana Natural Resource Commission is an autonomous board that addresses issues pertaining to the Department of Natural Resource. This 12-member board includes seven citizens chose on a bipartisan basis, three ex-officio members from state agencies, the chair of the advisory council, and one representative of the Indiana Academy of Science. The commission meets at least four times annually. Um... I'm trying to think if there's anybody on here. Uh, Cameron Clark is is a gentleman that a lot of people may recognize, but you can go and you can you can see uh, Brian Pointer is the chair currently. So it's it's definitely uh, Cameron Clark. For those of you who don't know, I kind of said that in passing, but he's the Department of Natural Resources director. So uh, he's he's definitely pretty high up on the DNR's uh, food chain, if you will. So they do a great job. They're the ones that will discuss uh, and basically state whether we are going to amend this, change it to open it up and allow it on public. So the reason why I'm sharing all this and I've kind of rattled on is if you are passionate about um, the sunset clause being taken off so that way it at minimum it'll stay the same as it was last year, Write your legislators, tell them that you want them to vote in approval of HB 1231 inclusive of Amendment 3. Uh, most likely it's going to pass from what I hear and some of my connections downstate. That's what it sounds like. So it doesn't sound like anybody's really against the original portion of HB. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, HB 1385. I think I may have misspoke that. You want to write your legislators and tell them you want HB 1385 to pass inclusive of the Amendment 3, which touches on rifle uses and removes the Sunset Clause that was originally on it from 2016. Whew, that was a lot. So those are basically the current topics or events, the harvest totals, SB203 we touched on, and then the rifle, HB1231, and then now this year, HB1385. So future topics to discuss really right now is I need your help. I need to know what do you feel we need to talk about? What do you as Indiana deer hunters want to hear discussed? Is there a certain topic you want to see kind of unpacked, if you will? Now, granted, there are going to be some topics that there's probably not enough episodes in an entire year, CWD, to express fully, but we will do our best. So, if CWD is one that you uh, want us to discuss, just confirm that to me. I already have a suspicion. That's one of the things. I would love to have uh, – I'm, I'm, oh, please forgive me, Nancy, but I don't remember her last name. She is the Indiana veterinar- veterinarian on staff. I'm trying to pull it up right now while I'm, while I'm talking, and it's probably not the best idea. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to get it. But I would love to have her on. Um, She was a great resource. I got to hear her do a presentation on CWD along with Joe Caudell and some other people down at state for another organization that I'm kind of part of, which actually, let me touch on this right now. So I kind of touched on it earlier where this whole podcast started where I didn't want um, 
certain motivations, certain disagreements, certain things. So that's why you'll notice this podcast is not connected to any one group, any one forum. We are not a mouthpiece or I'm not a mouthpiece for any of them. I may be associated with one or two or or have interactions with them, but that's only because I love the Indiana Deer Herd, and I'm going to talk to anybody that, whether they agree or disagree, um, you will learn that very quickly. If you're willing to have a, uh, a discussion with me and be respectful, man, I'll talk to you until I'm blue in the face, whether you, you agree with me or disagree with me wholeheartedly. So, But as far as organizations go, there's a lot of good ones in Indiana. I think there's uh, some that... That, that are definitely growing, some that are not getting traction, um, some that maybe are dying out, and that's more or less, we're having issues with hunter recruitment, period. Um, so I just wanted to stress that no matter what organization you're part of, uh, welcome, and uh, we hope you stick around, and hopefully, no matter what your group's opinion is on topics, uh, you can help grow Indiana Deer News Podcast. Perhaps even every now and then I can have one of your uh, board of directors or your president or somebody from your group come on and, and be a guest and help share and spread the word about your organization or your group. Um, we're not going to pick and choose one over the other or one over the multiple. There's, there's more than two in the state, but I just wanted to kind of touch on that. But write in, what are some topics? Who are some people you want to hear from? You know, would we love to hear some real-life stories from conservation officers? I've always kind of had that idea, and I kind of want to touch base with some of my conservation friends. I know sometimes sharing some of their favorite memories kind of uh, backfires and assists uh, poachers in tactics and approaches to um, skirting the law, if you will. So... I may or may not do that, but we might be able to have some really good conversations with conservation officers. I think it is a perspective that we as hunters need to hear. There is, um, amongst some, a a very uh, indifference or dislike. I, I don't want to say hatred, but there is a small minority of deer hunters that have that towards conservation officers. Um, but I, I think... As a whole, conservation officers in Indiana, we are pretty blessed. I only can speak for the few that I know personally up in the northern part of the state, and they are some incredible human beings willing to sacrifice many days out in the field to ensure that our game laws, our game regulations, and that uh, those that are out there lawfully abiding to the game laws have the best opportunity and a fair chance at the game that they're pursuing, knowing that somebody else is not going to be able to uh, just swoop in and, and take advantage, if you will, of all the lawful and law-abiding uh, hunters out there. So that's a, that's that's something that possibly we'll discuss, but uh, I'm open to anything. So write us in at indianadeernewspodcast at gmail.com or go to the Facebook page, Indiana Deer News Podcast. Message that page. You can comment on the bottom of this podcast. Um, if you know me personally, hit me up via text. I'm not going to give out my cell phone on, on the podcast, but hey, if you know me, hit me up, give me some ideas for shows, and uh, we'll go from there. All of you are going to make or break this show. This podcast is only going to be as successful as you make it. So trophy of the month submissions is the next thing on my list. So actually, if you go to the, the website right now, and if it's not linked on Facebook, I promise you it will be by the week's end. Um, but you'll notice that right now, 
there's a, a, a trophy of the month. Now, trophy is a very subjective term, and I cannot stress that enough. Trophy submissions do not have to be a buck. And if they are a buck, they do not have to be a big buck, however you classify big buck. Now, we all love big bucks. I'm a big buck hunter. I, I try to always hunt the top 10% of bucks that, on any of my properties. But that's me. But I'll tell you what, some of the best deer hunts I've had were not the biggest bucks I've ever had. Um, the most memorable deer that I've ever killed, honestly, I'm looking around my man cave right now. He's probably, as far as score goes, like number four or five that I've harvested personally. But if you ask me what deer was probably the best memory, it was actually Pops' big one this year, which Pops is my dad. And Pops is actually the Trophy of the Month right now. So if you would like to have your picture up on Trophy of the Month, I will highlight it on the Facebook page. You will also get a spot on the Trophy of the Month uh, homepage of the Indiana Deer News Podcast website. And uh, all I need is your name and county. You don't have to give any more uh, specifics than that. If you want to, great. Um, if I have a spot for them, I'll at least share it in the post. But uh, name and county will will go up. And I know people like to you know, put an area to the deer sometimes. And, uh, it's always interesting to see, especially in the big bucks. I'm not going to lie, um, where they're taken at and such, but uh trophy of the month sub- submissions can be sent to Indiana deer news podcast at gmail.com. I just ask one thing, please understand. There are some things that you can do to ensure that your picture gets used. So don't send me pictures of bloody deer that are all bloodied up. Um, there's like three really simple things. Now this is a trophy picture taking tips from me. Um, it does not take long. If you just have a towel, you can do all these things or even a rag or a sleeve or a pant leg, anything. Um, take a couple seconds. A lot of the times a deer, buck, doe, young deer, old deer, their tongue will flop out. Tuck that thing inside. Some people even cut it off. I don't think that's necessary, and if you do that, make sure you don't get a side profile with that jaw slightly hanging down. You can literally see the stub end of the tongue. Um, That just looks really weird and odd and off, of course, because the tongue is cut. Um, I don't think you have to do that. I've never had a problem just tucking the tongue in, and it doesn't matter if it's bloody. You're going to get bloody when you gut the deer anyways. So uh, another thing to do is, you know, clean the deer off. Take just a brief minute. If it's really bloody, we all have had those harvests where, man, that entrance or exit is just pumping and pouring. Um, just brush it down a little bit. You know, you can make it. I personally like to stage the deer, you know, tuck the legs underneath. Even if rigor mortis is set in, it takes some effort and it's hard, but you can do it. But uh, at least tuck the tongue. At least try to get rid of the blood that you can. Clean off that nose. That alone is going to make for a great picture. Um, and smile. You know, man, if if the deer is worthy of taking a picture, whether it's your first deer, your first buck, your first bow deer, your first buck taken with grandpa in the blind with you, you know, there's a reason to smile. Like, if if the deer's worthy of a picture, it's worthy of a smile. Like, be happy. Um, And I say all this about cleaning the deer up and such, um, and I'll just touch on it really briefly. I think one thing that we as hunters have to do uh, and maybe make a concerted effort to because it doesn't bug us um, necessarily. I mean, it bugs me, but I know there's a lot of hunters out there that it doesn't bug them at all to see blood in the photos. Eh, big deal. I'm not a truck bed photo person, but I don't necessarily think that's going to you know, make or break a photo, if you will. 
but there are a lot of people out there that are attacking the hunting industry. Um, we are already having an uphill battle, if you will, for hunter recruitment. And we as hunters that are in the community, I think we need to just, even if it's a quick step, it's, it takes three minutes literally to do what I said. Tuck the tongue, wipe the blood, make the entrance look decent to take a photo. Now, if you're not going to share your photo, it's not going to go out there on social media or forums or whatever, that's fine. Take whatever photo you want. I mean, don't be disrespectful, but if you don't want to clean up the blood, go for it. You want to leave the tongue hanging out, go for it. That's not a big deal. But if you're going to put yourself out there as a representation of hunters to the industry, to the to to the people that know you, you got to remember, you represent me and I represent you. Whenever hunting comes up in my life, the way I talk about it, the way I treat it, the way I take pictures doing it, it reflects every single person listening to this podcast and vice versa. You represent me. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I think it's something that if we take a concerted effort to represent ourselves well, stand up against those when they don't, um, if it's an honest mistake, we do it in private, we're quiet, we don't shame people. Um, but yeah, just something to consider. But trophy of the month submissions, we will change that up every single month. Uh, as we pour into it, maybe I'll do like a top six or eight. And who knows, in a year, maybe we we actually have the ability to send you something if you're the trophy of the month subscription. But right now, all I can do is raise a glass of bourbon to you and say, hey, congratulations, heck of a deer. And that's awesome. And that's not worth much. But hey, I'll do it anyways. So congratulations to Pops as I raise my bourbon glass here. Um, it was a heck of a deer. Last year taken on... The homestead property, as we call it, um, the property that a lot of my deer were harvested on. But I think I'm going to wrap this up with if all of this, this episode, but more importantly, the mission of Indiana Deer News Podcast, if it kind of strikes a chord with you and there's any way that you feel you could be worthwhile or have something to offer to the podcast, reach out to me. The worst thing I can say is no, or the worst thing I can say is, hey, it's just not going to work, or hey, you know, sometimes people just don't jive, and hey, if, if, if I don't get a good vibe from you, I'll probably just say no, thanks for offering, and we'll move on. But uh, I, there's a lot of people out there much more talented than me. You know, one thing that I'd like to consider is maybe getting a co-host. So uh, I don't want to put that out there because I feel like I'm going to get flooded. So I have a few co-hosts in mind. But that's a great thing, actually. If you're going to send in ideas for the podcast, let me know if you think having a co-host would be a good thing. Not that you would want to be the co-host, because I'm not really going to take submissions for that, but do you think having a co-host to bounce things back and forth with uh, is a good thing, or do you like the idea of more of a streamlined show, uh, for lack of a better term, less BS chatting be between the two hosts um, and just the, the host and the guest? if you will. But if you think a co-host, I just like your opinions. Uh, if a co-host would be a good idea, I've got a few people in mind and I think they would bring a lot to the show and they don't always agree with me, which I think is a good thing. I think if you're going to have a show with uh, two hosts or a main host and a co-host, it's nice if they don't always agree. 
Um, but they have the same passion and they have respect for the deer and respect for each other. So that's just a side note. But if this is something that you are listening to and you're like, you know what, I want to support this. I want to fund this. Keep that in the back of your mind. We are going to set up a Patreon page um, and we can probably get something. But if you are a business owner to where you're like, this could be a podcast that targets a specific audience, a specific audience that I know I could have potential customers in. We're not going to do sponsorships because the problem with sponsorships are if we get a sponsor, I'm going to use a really big, unreasonable hope. But if like Matthews called me up and said, hey, we'll we'll sponsor your show, but you know, you can't have any other bow people on there. Um, and hey, we have a contract with X company. We'd like you to either deal with them or don't deal with any other broadhead. I'm just going to, these are all just spitballing examples, guys. And gals. But I think what we could do potentially is offer advertising segments. So 10, 15, 20, 20 second segment. Maybe we'll read a quick blurb about you. Um, if you're a bow shop, maybe in Indiana, and you'd like to get on here, and that's something that you would just like us to put you on a list. We haven't really discussed it. I have not really priced out what an actual um, amount for that would be. However, I think it's something to think about. And hey, if there's enough demand, for that, and I think as this grows, I think there's going to be a lot of people out there wishing that they could use this as an advertisement. I think that's one way we could power this podcast forward. So, if you're a business owner out there and that sounds like a good idea, and you would at least like to be put on a list to contact for a pricing list of that, please reach out to me. Um, sorry, I'm not a big sales pitch. That's the last time that you will uh, probably hear me discuss that for a little while because this podcast is centered around becoming a resource for you not an enterprise or a business venture or anything like that. So just so you know, any advertising money that we bring in on the podcast will go directly funneled back to the people and expenses like domain and equipment and things of that nature and maybe hosting events. So, But that's a lofty goal for right now. We've laid out the groundwork. We've put out the first episode, and hopefully you guys receive it well. Let me know what you think. I don't believe I have anything else. As I've always said in every single thing that I've done, in closing, God bless everyone, and good luck out there.